From Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, this is a podcast of KZYX's local coronavirus update for Monday, January 11, 2021, with Ukiah ER doctor Dr. Drew Colfax and Alicia Bales. Since the pandemic began, Dr. Colfax has done regular live updates for KZYX listeners on the latest news and numbers and answered questions from callers. Bad news on my TV screen, bad news on the magazines, bad news on the newspaper, bad news on the elevator, bad news on the street, bad news on my car, bad news on my feet, bad news out of the bar, all over my clothes. And good afternoon. This is Alicia Bales in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. Good afternoon, Drew. Hello, Alicia. Happy Monday. Thank you. This is the local coronavirus update. As you know, we've been doing this since uh, March, uh, every Monday and Wednesday from 3 to 3.30. I think we should go back to doing it every day. Like we did at first. Yeah. That was uh, that was a month. <laughs> <laughs> what would we say? I have no idea. I'm being entirely facetious. Well, you know what is going to be happening this week, which may preempt us on Wednesday, is uh, impeachment hearings. We've heard from National Didn't Public Radio. did we already Radio have one that, of those? Yes, it's um, second impeachment. No, good. Right. So that might be happening this Wednesday. But for now, we're in the clear, and we're going to do the local coronavirus update. Uh, it's an open line show, so we're going to give an update on, on the current state of things and then open up the phone lines for you to call in and ask your questions about coronavirus, uh, the vaccines, any comments or questions you might have, clarifications. And that number here in the studio is 707 895 Two four four eight, and we welcome your questions. Even if you think they might be dumb questions, I'm sure that everybody has similar confusion out there. So please feel free to call in. But first, we're going to get the numbers. Sure. So in the last five days, we've had another 200 confirmed cases in the county, bringing our count up to 2,914. Uh, we're still averaging about 32 a day. Um, Depending on sort of how many days you average it over, uh, we're getting about 40 uh, per 100,000 per day, which is pretty high, although it's about one-third of the statewide average, which is good. Positivity is still quite high. It's 6.27% of the tests are positive. That's, I think, the highest we've been, or just about. We have 670 people in this county, either in isolation or quarantine, um, also quite close to the very maximum number of people um, during this entire pandemic. And we have 14 people hospitalized, including one in the ICU. No new deaths. Um, And the good news is, though there is no, effectively no transfer capability any longer outside, out of this county, uh, we are still holding the line um, in the hospitals. We are not quite overrun. Um, I just came off a run of shifts, and it's it's essentially impossible to transfer somebody out of the county at this point. There are simply no beds anywhere, um, with the exception of serious trauma, um, massive heart attacks, or massive strokes requiring neurosurgery. And in those cases, uh, the big hospitals just kind of make room. Um, but for anything else, uh, we're having to manage it. And it's actually 
fairly um, impressive how the team at Ukiah, at least, is pulling together and making it work all from, from housekeeping all the way up the chain of command. It's just there are a lot of people working over there very hard under fairly trying circumstances. And it doesn't appear chaotic when you go into the ER, which is remarkable, even though we are really sort of at the capacity. Um, the heat map for California is actually least hot um, here in Northern California. Uh, it's really quite fortuitous, perhaps, or perhaps it re reflects good policy. I don't know. Um, but from San Francisco County all the way up to Del Norte, uh, it's, it's the least hot in the state right now. Um, the south is really pretty dreadful. Um, I think somebody in Los Angeles County alone is dying every eight minutes from, from the virus. Um, they are... Um, dealing with a population that 10% of them have COVID, um, which is just an astonishingly large number. We're adding about 40,000 people per day in the state of California right now, and about 300 people just in the state of California are dying daily from wow. COVID. Unbelievable. Yeah, so it's it's pretty scary. We have no ICU capacity um, in the Bay Area, um, and that simply is what we're feeling when we try to transfer somebody out who needs services that we can't provide. So it's it's fraught. Um, it's it, it's pretty close, and I was in a fairly dark mood uh, yesterday after a couple of fairly difficult night shifts, but I'm actually somewhat optimistic today. Um, I, I think there is growing awareness uh, that the tiered system is a disaster. Um, and Fauci has, you know, basically said as much. Um, and the reason why it is not really working is it's very simple to identify firefighters, police officers, healthcare workers, but just about everybody else doesn't have an essential worker ID. Um, and there's certainly no data bank or network that allows those people to be brought forward and vaccinated in some sort of timely fashion. I also think it's frankly misguided um, because we know who's dying from this um, and the people that are dying from this are the elderly. Um, and I, I think that message is finally making its way um, up the chain to Newsom, I hope. Um, and I, I think the elderly are going to be folded into 1B over the next day or two. I might be wrong and I might be disappointed, but I suspect that that's going to happen, which would be very good. I don't think that they can unwalk this tier 1A, tier 1B um, paradigm because they've created it and it's created this expectation. But I think the elderly are going to be added into those. All right, a couple questions. One, um, I remember back in March, April, May, as we were coming up on the big July surge, um, that you were talking a lot about the impending feelings of doom from your colleagues at the at the hospital. Mm -hmm. And now it seems like we made it to the doom. How are people doing? You know, that, that's what I'm speaking to. I mean, the people are really pulling together. I mean, we're certainly... Yeah, I, I'm not going to speak for everybody, but I, I think there's a sense of camaraderie and really sort of making it through the pandemic and being in it for the long haul. I think it also helps that most of us are now vaccinated. Um, and so ah. that that does sort of decrease the anxiety about bringing it home to your family members, et cetera. Um, so that's that's quite helpful, I think, in terms of improving esprit de corps. You also aren't concerned about bringing it you know, into the hospital or bringing it from patient to patient. I mean, you don't want to be the source patient in a hospital-wide outbreak. Um, you know, we just don't have the capacity to deal with that. Um, and so that, that anxiety is gone. And we also kind of know what we're dealing with much more uh, thoroughly now. And while the, the therapies have not 
become radically better. Um, they are improved, and we're also much more custom customized to all the PPE and the layering and everything else that goes with this pandemic. It just doesn't feel burdensome any longer. It's just kind of natural, kind of like wearing a face mask. Oh, yes. We've yeah. all gotten very used to that. And you got your second shot, right? I did get my second shot. Um, I got it, when did I get it? I got it Thursday, I guess. Um, how was that? You know, I was in the group of people that had a reaction. It, it made me feel kind of lousy for about 24 hours. I'm not going to lie. Um, definitely worth it. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm glad I got it. I have no reservations. But it made it makes you realize sort of this is, this is a powerful immune response that's being triggered, which is great. Um, other people had a similar sort of response. The majority of people actually didn't have as much of a response as I did. Um, but I felt kind of flu-like for 24 hours. But you, you knew that it was working. Yes. Yeah. So, okay, so the other thing that I wanted to ask you about was um, testing. Uh, you, you, you usually talk about the numbers of tests and pending tests, but not this time. Yeah, so that's actually not, it, it's been off the county website um, for about a week now. And it's, I, I don't know if it's an oversight or if they don't have the numbers. And if they don't have the numbers, that's a problem. Um, but they should be sharing that number because if we don't know the rate of testing, we don't really know the rate of surveillance. Um, and that's something that we all should be um, allowed to see. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can't really you can't really talk about positivity uh, without a sense of how much testing is occurring. Otherwise, you could have, you know, you could it could be very skewed data. Um, so I, I don't know when that's coming back, but it needs to be back on the webs on the county website. And the other thing while we're talking about, you know, things I'd like to see, um, there really isn't much information yet about vaccination. Um, you know, people know the vaccine is coming, um, but there's really very little communication uh, from the state or local level about who or where or when um, is getting vaccinated. And that's that's that needs to be fixed. I mean, people know the vaccine is coming in, but it needs to be much more transparent and much of this um falls on the state i mean it's hard to tell people when things are coming in if the state isn't telling us how much vaccine is on the way um and so it's it's a fairly fraught um thing to put up but i think at least speaking to that would be extremely helpful this is something we covered on Friday uh, during the county. The county talked about it on their briefing, and we talked about it with our Q&A with the vaccine task force folks. Mm -hmm. um, and they said that they are working on a website that they will have up either by Friday or by today. So I just checked the county website. It's the link is not up yet, but we'll but see. Hopefully today's not today's yeah. not. I mean, it, the day it, is yeah, young. this is this is all it's all new, right? <laughs> it and so it's it's it, 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 this isn't really a criticism so much as something we need to see. Um, right. And you know, I, I I think we'll get there. The good news, and perhaps the reason why I am a bit more optimistic, is we don't have any vaccine in the county um, as of this weekend. I was. Uh, disappointed to find a appropriate word um, to hear that we had 840 <laughs> doses sitting in a freezer because there really should be no vaccine sitting in freezers at any point at least not for more than 24 or 48 hours as soon as it gets in it needs to go out and get into arms and it would be nice to get it into you know sort of the high risk arms um, in an appropriate ethical distributed manner but the main priority um, is to get it into people's arms well, on arrival. That was another thing that came up. Uh, ethics came up on Friday as well with the county briefing and then the, I don't think we talked about it afterwards, but uh, one of the things that has been just just eating at me through the weekend is that uh, the county was, uh, Dr. Korn was talking about an ethics committee whose 
members will, will be anonymous. And I just cannot wrap my head around transparency and eth an ethics committee that we don't know who they are. That just, that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I, I, that, that's kind of like clean coal or, or jumbo shrimp. I mean, I just, if you're going to have an ethics committee, um, then it needs to be transparent. And if you don't have the transparency, then they don't have credibility. So a secret, a secret ethics committee is an oxymoron of the first order. And I, I suspect perhaps Andy uh, misspoke or that's just not going to happen. But I just don't see how something like that would have any credibility with anyone. Um, in, in, in anywhere, frankly, it, it, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, if you have people who are subject to pressures externally and you're afraid that they are going to bow to those pressures, then they should not be sitting on an ethics committee, full stop, period. And frankly, I'm not sure why people would be wasting time forming ethics committees at this point. We know what we need to do. We know who is dying from this. This is, this is affecting people who are elderly, and we need to set up tiers. Anybody over 75 comes in and gets the vaccine. Anybody over 65, and you roll it down the line. It's not very complicated. First-line healthcare workers are vaccinated um, pretty much in this county at this point, or very nearly so. It's been into the um, skilled nursing facilities and the elderly care homes which is certainly a highest priority it's not yet in the jail which i will continue to rail against until that a population gets fully vaccinated but then it needs to get into the elderly because that's that's who's dying from this all right well and the other thing i would like to flag before we open up the phone lines is that um it appears that this is the week that teachers are going to begin getting vaccinated at the vaccine clinics. Well, they are part of 1B. Um, very and So 1B, if 1B stands without, you know, the addition of the 75 and plus, then, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. And I know that there are, there's a timeline now um, that's coming from the state, but I know that local school districts are trying to get themselves ready for this, uh, f to reopen the lower grades by February 5th or on or near February 15th. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to vaccinate teachers unless they're going to start teaching in person. Right. So, the, so we're in that that place where things are moving on the on the schools. So yeah, we're, we're going to be doing some programming on it over the next couple. That of That would be great. Well. I mean, I have argued all along that we should close everything down and open schools first. Um, and so that would be great to get teachers vaccinated so we could safely get kids back into classrooms or yeah. more safely. In other news, Pfizer um, analyzed the new super spreaders, highly contagious, maybe not, maybe not so much. We really don't know strain of coronavirus out of Britain, but maybe it's not out of Britain. Maybe it came from anywhere else. We don't know. But they concluded that their vaccine is effective against it. We kind of sort of knew that, but to hear it officially is quite reassuring. And then additionally, and it's interesting, there's some modeling, and a lot of people will frown with modeling because you can model just about any outcome that you want. But there's increasingly robust modeling uh, that shows if we even have a fairly low percentage of vaccination um, in the population, it's going to really flatten the curve very quickly. So it's not a question of getting to herd immunity. It's just a question of getting a fairly modest a number of people vaccinated and we're talking 10 to 20 percent actually can really start to slow the spread of this virus that presumes that people are vaccinated are not shedding active virus it's that's not borne out yet um i think there's a very good plausible biologically plausible presumption that that will be the case but we don't yet know that how do they test for that how do they make sure that the people who are vaccinated aren't going to be shedding virus 
Oh, well, they're going to be studying the people who have been vaccinated um, and whether they get COVID and whether you see, start to see outbreaks that are attributed uh -huh. to their presence. So that the the immunity conferred by the virus just makes it so you don't get sick, but you still could be um, asymptomatic. Yeah, and it's not it's not 100%, right? I mean, we're talking 95% effective, and, you know, 95% is astonishingly good. Um, so there will be a very small minority of people who will actually perhaps get sick and shed, um, but the vast majority, certainly enough to contain a outbreak um, or a pandemic, um, won't get sick. That's so, so interesting. So, so... We just need people who are like stop gaps within our communities who so the virus can't jump. Yeah, it's really it really I mean, not to go back to the old fire analogy, but it, it really is. You know, there's a lot of fuel still. Um, and the more people that we remove from, you know, the more we spread the, the naive people out um, with with non naive people, then the less likely it is to jump from person to person. And some of this is through natural immunity at this point. I mean, when 10 percent of Los Angeles yeah, right. is infected, then that's starting to actually slow the rate a little tiny bit um, and then if you vaccinate another 10 to 20 percent of that population then that's going to start slowing the curve what really slows the curve though is when you get these massive outbreaks and people realize this is serious and people start dying then they stop going out and things die back down again and that's why we keep seeing these oscillating waves of outbreak throughout the country and california did great then they did terrible and then they did fairly well and now we're terrible again and the same with just about every other state in the country all right. Anything else before we open up the phone lines? I think I've talked enough. Very good. <laughs> Let's go ahead and see what is on our listeners' minds. The number here is 707-895-2448, and we have our first call. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. Thanks for my call. So thanks for taking my call. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking with what I just heard that wouldn't then... People who are choosing not to be vaccinated, wouldn't it be a good thing to have those people do a service and be tr tracked or traced by um, uh, someone keeping track of that to see what actually is the outcome of that? Uh, and what's that? I'm sorry. Uh, that those who are who are not getting vaccinated volunteer to be ongoingly tested to see what the outcome of that decision is for for those people and how that impacts the general population. Yeah, I mean it, that that would be interesting to study. It would be very hard to do that in a in a resource depleted situations such as this I and mean, there, there, there are going to be a lot of people who pass at least initially on the vaccine and it's going to be very hard to get sort of useful data um, that would guide policy I mean what we really need is data that's going to guide sort of decision making um, about who gets the vaccine if people decline the vaccine then they are certainly at more at increased risk of getting COVID um, sooner or later and that's going to draw out the pandemic if they are in a high contact um, line of work. Um, when I say contact, you know, if they're if they're in congregate type of line of work. Um, so that's you know that is certainly why healthcare workers and frontline workers are encouraged strongly to get the vaccine. 
you know, there are still some reasons why some people are hanging back. I mean, I, I disagree with them, but some people are just more uncomfortable with the uncertainty of a new vaccine treating a novel outbreak. The data on that is becoming increasingly extremely good, seeing as we now have millions of doses into arms in this country, and we really haven't seen anything other than maybe 20 anaphylactic reactions, which are readily treated. And so there's not really a lot of um, data emerging to show that this vaccine is dangerous. And I think as there is increased uptake of vaccine um, without um, without delete, without dangerous side effects, that we're going to see more and more people um, opting for the vaccine when it is offered. All right. I have a question that came in via email. Um, what if someone had COVID unknowingly asymptomatic, I presume, and gets the vaccine, will they also become immune after the second dose? Yes. Yeah. So if you if you if you had the illness and you didn't know it, um, that that's fine. Um, and if you had COVID and you knew it, which is to say you got sick, uh, then then uh, Pfizer and Moderna each recommend a waiting period before your first dose. But the the vaccine will still produce an immunity, and it appears to produce a much better immunity, um, paradoxically enough, than natural immunity. Huh. Okay. Let's take another call. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. I I did I got cut off, but um, I just wanted to continue that my point was one that is different than where you went with that, Dr. Colfax. Okay, I'm not sure what your point is other than trying so to study my people point who... Is, no, my point is that wouldn't that be a valuable resource if, if people who chose not to be vaccinated were traced, allowed themselves to be traceable and, and, and would then act as a resource to understand the pattern of of how the virus acts in the community that was my point and now i'll get off the air but that <laughs> okay. that was my point okay, all right so color. yeah I, I i again i i don't i just don't think that we have the resources to track um you know the the vaccine hesitant um and you know we know how this va this virus spreads um Already, I mean, it, it, initially there's a lot of anxiety about it spreading through surfaces, and really it became clear eventually that it spreads through droplets and aerosols in enclosed spaces. And if you have people who haven't been vaccinated in enclosed spaces, then those people are going to get sick, and some of them will die having decided to forego vaccination. But I don't think um, that there's really any way that tracking these um, non-vaccinated people is going to elucidate knowledge about the virus transmission through the population that we already have. It's, it's hard for me to see how that's going to change um, how we are managing this from a public health perspective. But it's an interesting yeah. thought. It is an interesting uh, concept. And not to be too facetious, but if the two guys in line at Lemons for lunch today are any indication, the people who don't want to have the vaccine are also not going to want to be tracked. Tracked, yeah. Because well, they were quite suspicious about anything having to do with this vaccine. So, well, you um, know. It's... Let's go ahead and take our next call. Hey, caller, did you wait? Are you still there? I I am here. All right. So you're here. And my question um and I don't think anybody's asked us, but I'm not sure, is about advanced directives. Um, I am a senior. I'm 72. 
and it seems like now is a good time for everybody to have an advanced directive, even if they're two years old. Um, and of course, the most severely ill people are people who've been intubated. And I was wondering what the outcomes look like on intubation. Um, I definitely, personally, want to have a quality life for the rest of my life. Um, and I just want to have an idea of what happens with intubation, what the percentages of people are who are, have permanent severe damage that makes them bedridden or have to walk with a walker or have a wheelchair. Um, what are the outcomes looking like when the percentages of this, if you know? So anyway, I, I really want to move on this. So, Okay, thank you. I'll take my answer off the air. Yeah, so the caller makes a, it makes a couple of really good points. First off, it, it's always a good idea for everybody to have an advanced directive. Um, it's very simple to have one. Your healthcare provider can you walk you through the steps, and I would recommend, what this goes it? out to Dr. Mark Abfeld, that everybody get their pulsed in line, um, pandemic or no. What's an advanced directive? It sounds like a Star Trek term. So advanced directive is basically gives a healthcare provider guidance as to how aggressive um, management should be in, the, in, in times of crisis. And, you know, I deal with that at work on a daily basis. Somebody comes in, they're not breathing. You, if you have time, you see what their advanced directive is and do they want to be put on life support or not. And you don't have a lot of time to make that decision. And so those tend to be very readily identifiable in anybody's medical record. Um, paramedics are very good at knowing to scoop that up whenever they bring somebody in. Um, so it's it's critically important that people have that um, even without the pandemic. Your other question about people who go on to the ventilator. So the, the outcome is still pretty bad um, if you end up ventilated with COVID. The good news is we've learned um, a lot of ways to avoid intubation. So patients that we would have ventilated with vital signs um, that we see with COVID, uh, we're just not we're not intubating any longer. Um, still, some people have to be ventilated because they are going to fail from a respiratory perspective and they're going to fail, they're about to fail, you know, within minutes. But we wait really until the last minute or two, honestly. Uh, and so in in that case, though, what the mortality um, is still 50%. Um, might be a little bit better than that, but it is extremely high. And people who are ventilated tend to remain on a ventilator for a very long time, and then they actually have a fairly good recovery. It's protracted. It tends to um, be more protracted in the more elderly. You can imagine if you are paralyzed or sedated on a breathing machine for two weeks at the age of 85, your body's not going to bounce back. Um, and you may be, you know, you may be in a rehab facility or requiring supplemental oxygen or requiring a walker uh, for weeks to months, um, you know, presuming that one survives. But the people who do survive of the 50%, they, they do okay? From what we can tell, I mean, we don't have a lot of, you know, it's not a large number um, in this county, certainly, um, but the sort of long-term uh, recovery is actually pretty good. All right, we have an email asking for clarification. Um, our listener is confused about whether someone who's gotten the vaccine can still transmit COVID to others. She's a teacher, and she wonders, in case uh, that uh, of herself and her colleagues, um, so she says, especially since people under the age of 16 or 18 can't get vaccinated, is there a possibility that we could still pass it on to our loved ones, even if we don't get sick? 
Yeah, so we, we, the answer is that we don't really know yet. Um, I, I think there's growing consensus um, that if you're fully vaccinated and you've had, say, two weeks after your second dose of either of these two vaccines that's out there right now, that it's unlikely that you're going to be carrying the virus and shedding it in a, in a contagious sort of way. We don't know that. I'm sure there will be exceptions to that rule, but on the whole, I think that's going to prove to be quite infrequent. Nonetheless, the recommendation is going to remain uh, really probably for the duration of this pandemic that you wear face masks. Right. You're not going to become contagious from the vaccine. You'd still have to be exposed to somebody who has it. So if you stay with the five directives or whatever. Yes. Uh, the face, five COVID rules. Yeah, the yes. five co- not the not the directives. Yes. That's Star Trek. Yeah. Um, but the, but stay with the five COVID rules and mask and distance and then, you know, keep yourself safe from getting exposed to it. Yeah, and it's really, it, 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 there's still some individual risk. This is not a 100% effective vaccine. It is 95% effective, which is very, very good. Um, but in the midst of a pandemic with very high numbers, you're still just going to have to keep doing what we're doing. All right. We have one more call. Caller, are you still there? I am. Hey, caller. Okay, you're live on the air. Awesome. Um, I have a question about the safety of the vaccine. I, I don't, you know, think of myself as like a, an anti-vaccine person, but I'm surrounded by people who are choosing electively not to get the vaccine because they're concerned about, you know, it was created in such a short period of time and typically there's trials and studies and things to watch you know if it's going to do something funky to people and you know i'm trying to figure out how to convince them that we really need to go get the vaccine but their concerns are you know that it's just not going to be safe and you know because it was quote-unquote rushed so i mean i guess my question is how much information do we have about you know the vaccine itself and you know you said that you had a a bad reaction but really that's that's like that can happen to anything you know yeah, it just so it, it's a good question. I frankly have had this conversation over and over again with people who have you know some hesitancy around it. For for starters, um, it was a very fast um, development of these vaccines. I mean, by necessity, part of that speed, however, was the fact that they were able to do all of these trials concurrently. Normally, vaccine development um, proceeds with steps, you know, a multi-step process where they complete an entire step. They analyze that data, they publish that data, then they go on to the second step. And in this case, uh, they did everything more or less at the same time. Um, And so that that in of itself um, shortened the vaccine development length by years um, because we're able to get through the four-step process in a matter of months rather than a matter of years. So it's not that they did it in a more sloppy way. Um, they did it um, sort of simultaneously to get through these trials. And then secondly, uh, you know, they, they don't get approved unless there is very robust data on their safety and efficacy. And the efficacy is quite clearly established, as is their safety. I mean, there was no significant adverse safety out outcomes in the 45,000 people who received either the vaccine or the placebo um, in these two in these two vaccine trials and so that's you know it's not it's not 10 million or 8 billion um, but it's you know it's still a lot of people and you know as we're getting more data um, here in the United States and elsewhere these big 
big manufacturers are collecting adverse outcomes, and we're still not seeing any um, evidence of significant out adverse outcomes from these vaccines. Additionally, and you know, a lot of vaccine-hesitant people um, talk about toxins or sort of these vague concepts of poisons that you're injecting in your body or foreign bodies or whatever else, and then they go to McDonald's and have a Big Mac. So I will just say, um, and I, I hesitate to say this because I frankly think it's a red herring, but these vaccines don't have any preservatives, they don't have any mercury, they don't have anything in them other than this messenger, messenger RNA snippet and a little bit of fat to keep it stable until it gets injected into the, into the body. So, and, and that's it. There's, they're, they're, they are really quite um, biologically clean vaccines. Um, I'm not sure that really should make a difference, but I think it does to some people, so I will speak to that. Great. Thank you so much. You're all welcome. Right. Good luck in your efforts. I got to say, we, we all need to keep people uh, you know, educated about this. And I'm not trying to be too pushy about the vaccine. If people want to hesitate, if people want to wait, um, that's fine. You can step out of the line and, you know, the next person should get in the line to get the vaccine. I, I do think that most people will come around as more and more people get vaccinated in this country. All right. Great. An important Thank question. You. Thanks, caller. Um, and if the lines around the building uh, when the refrigerator failed or any indication, people here, you know, for, people want the vaccine. People want it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. So it's 3.32. The phone line. Oh, they went away. Okay. So I guess we're done. Well, good. That, that was our half hour. <laughs> that was our half hour. Yeah. I know, but I was getting greedy. You want to push it a little bit. <laughs> um, all right. Thanks, everybody, for your calls. And thanks for your emails and texts as well. Anything else you want to say before we sign off? No, be safe. Hang in there. We are really at the cusp. I mean, it's this weird inflection of both a rampaging um, surge in California and the distribution of a vaccine. So it's it's going to look a lot different a month from now. Um, and when I say different, I think it's going to look a lot better. And we do have vaccine clinics happening this week for tiers 1A and 1B. Yes, right? we do. Um, I'm not sure anything's finalized yet, but... Stay tuned. Okay. And according to Dr. Korn, who I talked with this morning, vaccines are coming. On their way. Yep. I have heard unofficially that we're getting a lot. I'm not sure what that means, but a lot of vaccine into the county. So your prediction about um, maybe in a month we're going to be in good shape? Uh, not necessarily in good shape, but less bad shape, I'd like to less, think. We'll take it. Yeah, I'm we'll a, take I'm, what I'm we a, can get. I'm a half-empty kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been the local coronavirus update. I'm Alicia Bales in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. We'll be back for your coronavirus questions on Wednesday at three o'clock. Barring a repeat impeachment. Impeachment of part two. Fearless leader. Um, yeah. Exactly. That that could could happen. Uh, we could be the impeachment is happening. We could be preempted for the show. Uh, but anyway, just stay tuned and we will keep you up to date on that. Have a great afternoon. You've been listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYXNZ Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. This podcast is made possible by funding from the Mask Awareness Project of North Coast Opportunities. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time to KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Williton Ukiah at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening.